How close is the TV show Yellowstone to your reality growing up? <laughs> probably a little I think, different. I think this the weird comment is that it's probably closer than most people would realize oh. or, or expect. <laughs> That's awesome. The drama, the drama. Yeah, maybe minus the murders and things like that. Hopefully that yeah. there's none of that in your fortune. <laughs> Welcome to Startup Dad, the podcast where we dive deep in the lives of dads who are also leaders in the world of startups and business. I'm your host, Adam Fishman. In today's episode, I sat down with Ty DeGrange. Ty is the founder of Round Barn Lab which is a performance and affiliate marketing company that has worked with companies like Oculus, ThreadUp, ModCloth, and Nextdoor. Prior to that, he had career stints at Amazon, eBay, and Commission Junction, to name a few. He's a husband and the father of two kids. In our conversation today, we spoke a lot about the parenting philosophies that have influenced Ty and his family. From growing up on a farm and a working ranch, in Northern California, to some of his favorite books like Bringing Up Bebe and Simplicity Parenting and the lessons that they've taught him. We talked about Ty's own relationship with social media, which powers his agency's work and how he thinks about its influence on his children. Ty told a story that has quickly become my favorite. It's his how you met your spouse moment. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. You may have missed Valentine's Day, but remember that Startup Dad has a new merch store. Amazing gear for all the startup dads and moms in your life. Check it out at www.startupdadshop.com. I would like to welcome Ty DeGrange to the Startup Dad podcast. Ty, it is great to have you here. We've known each other for a long time, but we've never talked about parenthood. That's right. I'm thrilled to be on today. It's awesome to reconnect with you. And uh, yeah, talking about a new topic, not a new one for us, but a new one yeah. for us to talk about. Let's do it. Yeah. Awesome. So before we jump in, I do like to cover a little bit about people's professional background. So you have a really interesting role in sort of running an agency, but tell me a little bit about the last like 20 years and how you got to where you are today. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot of time to cover, but I'll do my best, right? Yeah. I've been in performance marketing for about 20 years. I actually got started at a Sequoia-backed startup that was in the programmatic marketing space. One of the you know, big attempts to get in on the ad network growth that was exploding. DoubleClick kind of you know, emulated and led that with the Google acquisition. After that stint, I got my first taste of affiliate marketing, which was very interesting at Commission Junction. They were really one of the leaders in the space and they're still very prevalent in it now with, you know, huge enterprise clients, a lot of good press. They were part of Value Click and kind of marching, you know, growing that publicly traded company. And so I got to grow brands like Bowflex and StubHub and various other consumer brands. I got to see kind of like what affiliate was. And in some ways it kind of operates in a weird way, like a highly efficient, you know, multi-channel marketing arm, which is yeah. another topic. But from there, I was really lucky and fortunate to be considered for StubHub and eBay. And then eBay ended up making most sense and was fortunate to go there with a team leading out a global affiliate program. So the types of people I was exposed to there, many of you probably know tangentially or directly were just insanely talented and thoughtful and interesting. And, and so it was really an eye-opener for me 
getting exposed to other areas of marketing from SEO to paid. And so with that, I think I really wanted to get into an opportunity where I could, I went to a VC-backed startup, it was a uh, Kleiner-Perkins-backed startup that was kind of exploding in the daily deal space many, many years ago, which feels like ancient history, all the cycles we've been through. But I was able to you know, run uh, all paid acquisition for them. And so really a, a massive step in the direction of being able to be you know, more of a multi-channel leader and, and kind of getting the right channel mix and and operating and kind of being the one that hires and evaluates agencies and contractors and staff and such and budgeting. And it was really an opportunity to get more in, in the weeds on a number of things and get more multi-channel. I think that kind of sparked the opportunity towards Round Barn Labs. And as people you know, started asking me questions like, how do I get this set up? How do I think about attribution? How do I think about selecting channels, allocating budget towards channels, a lot of the things that you you and I have talked about over the years and you've obviously experienced firsthand, that started to kind of get the wheels turning about, do I have an opportunity to create something that's independent, that is coming at it from an objective perspective uh, point of view. You don't have to necessarily play all the internal games and and challenges that we all have had to encounter, which you know, come some good and bad come from. And so I was excited about that opportunity to have kind of freedom and autonomy to select a little bit more. Obviously that cuts both ways, but just thrilled it's been about 10 years sure. now. And so Round Barn Labs has evolved nice. in many, many iterations and it's been a lot yeah. of fun to continue to chip away and grow it. And it's been great. Cool. So the name of your company that you run now is called Round Barn Labs. And I learned in our prep for the show that you grew up on a working ranch in Santa Rosa, California. Did those two things have anything in common? Did you have a bunch of round barns on the ranch? <laughs> we had a barn or two. It was such a cool way to grow up, to be honest. It was such an awesome experience. And you know, I think a lot of it really stemmed from me kind of wanting to share that experience, continue family traditions and, and honor that legacy in my own way. That was really a lot of what motivated me there was a round barn, actually, like a stone's throw from our property. It was called the Fountain Grove Round Barn. Okay. And there's a wild history around it where this utopian guy actually created it. And they were doing like very sophisticated grape growing in the 1800s. They tried to create this like utopian society, which not many people know about. But the, the point is like you drive up to kind of, you know, you're headed up from San Francisco and you're headed into Sonoma County and it's kind of an iconic figure up on that hill. And what I share with folks often is that, hey, you know, my name, DeGrange, happens to loosely translate to from the barn in French. And oh. then the barn was just very connected to my, where I grew up on a ranch with, with a horse and cattle and animals and, and that experience, which is great. And then there's a cool kind of concept where these round barns came about for a while because you could actually get more surface area out of the same material. So it was kind of a fun little efficiency play there. So that's kind of where the name came from. But yeah, it was a cool place to grow up and try to keep that tradition alive. Yeah. I mean, this sounds like maybe a stereotypical question, but do you think growing up on a working ranch, which also was a summer camp, your parents were probably like up super early. And, you know, I, I feel like my knowledge of working ranches comes from the TV show Yellowstone. But um, <laughs> did that kind of shape your work ethic and like the approach of being independent and kind of like running your own thing? 
I think it really did. And I think you sometimes, just like anybody, you kind of don't always realize what kind of influenced you growing up because it's, you know, nature and nurture and you just inherently do it. I don't want to make it sound like we were on a, you know, Nebraska wheat farm in the 30 degree weather. Cause I think there was like, you know, a lot of things that were very amazing and privileged and insanely fantastic about being able to have access and to people and things. But I do think that there was a really strong work ethic involved. I mean, they took such pride in making sure that things were right for the kids coming in. And my mom with her discipline around horses, and there was a lot of you know, how you treat animals and making sure that they're taken care of and fed before kind of you are essentially in some ways and certain like ranch rules that are, I think kind of, kind of awesome, actually, like just some of the cowboy code of ethics that I've kind of, you know, shared about my dad's perspective on in, in my writing and just, it kind of comes out of me uh, regularly. And I, as I kind of shared with you and as my wife sometimes appreciates and sometimes eye rolls, and I hope my kids will appreciate at some point, whether they like it or not. But there was a pride and a care and work ethic and also a lot of, you know, joy and fun and positivity around a summer camp where, you know, gosh, kids are going there and they're fortunate to be able to go. And, you know, sometimes there are kids there that would be able to go that maybe <clears throat> weren't often you know, able to access that. So it was like a yeah. mix. It was kind of a special, unique environment. And, and in some ways you kind of had to reorient your yourself to the hard real world but there's something pretty magical about that and so i think kind of a mix of things i've learned from that experience how close is the tv show yellowstone to your reality growing up <laughs> probably a little I, I different think, i think this the weird comment is that it's probably closer than most people would realize <laughs> or, or expect <laughs> That's awesome. The drama, the drama. Yeah, maybe minus the murders and things like that. Hopefully that yeah. there's none of that in your Fortunately. childhood. Yeah. Fortunately we're, not. We're a murder-free <laughs> working ranch. Murder-free. It's, yeah. it's a slogan that performed really well in yeah, okay. testing. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Okay, so I want to transition and talk a little bit about life now. So you no longer live in California, but you were here for a while and you were up in Seattle. But I'm very curious to hear a little bit about your family and then your partner. And also, you have yep. a pretty funny story about how the two of you met. So I'm very curious to hear that story. I met my wife at a holiday party uh, about 10 years ago in Ventura, California. And my good friend from college throws a holiday party every year. And I didn't have kids. And he, you know, he was very close. And he was just getting into that kid's age. And I kind of wanted to make it funny and fun for them. And kind of play the whole, you know, have you been good Santa connection card? Mm -hmm. Like, hey, like, you know, and so I'd bring gifts down every year and I would dress up as some, you know, silly holiday character. One year I was you know, Eddie from National Lampoon's Vacation, which I think the, the parents appreciated more than the kids, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> this particular year I was dressed as Buddy the Elf. And I think my wife <laughs> at one point thought I was hired help for the party, which, you know, it was divulged later, but I think it was instrumental in kind of breaking the ice and being able to have a fun conversation. And I was very lucky because very, very gr grateful. I met my wife, obviously, and the rest is history. 
Yeah, it was love at first sight in those tights and, and uh, furry <laughs> outfit. So, yeah, it was no shortage of conversation to be had. And so I think we've gotten a lot of jokes and longevity out of that over the years. I think it was That's mentioned good. at my wedding shower and a few other key events. Nice. So, and maybe a hint at your future, you know, love of being a dad. You know, dad's dressing up in costumes like what we do. So tell me about right. your kids. You've got a pair of kids, pretty young still. Yeah, my little girl Hayward is three. I just dropped her off at school this morning. She was named after my dad, who was born in Hayward, California. And her middle name is Hollis, which is the street that my wife's side of the family, her grandmother and grandpa grew up on in Florida. So a lot of family legacy in her name. And then Gray, my little boy's one. He just turned one on Saturday. Oh, exciting. You made it. We made it. I know, right? Like that first year, it's like a weight off the shoulder, a celebration, a joy. But we named him for our favorite book that kind of symbolizes like where we fell in love, San Francisco. It's one of my favorite books about the city. It's called Cool Gray City of Love. Yeah. And the author does a phenomenal job of kind of taking the Japanese tradition of like these various views of a story from different angles. And they kind of, the seven by seven inspired the 49 views of San Francisco. And so it's 49 small chapters and each chapter is like a geography. This really highlights the unique geography of San Francisco. It's just an awesome story. So yeah, that's kind of his name inspiration. And then his middle name is Feist. And it's in honor of Bob Feist, who actually worked for my grandfather, total cowboy, total wow. radio announcer, similar kind of storyline as like where my grandfather and father came from. A lot of that, you know, cowboy ranch work ethic and just attitude. And Bob's just such a positive, phenomenal influence on my life. He's been a bit of a mentor and a dear friend. And he actually happens to operate one of the bigger ropings in the world called the Bob Feist Invitational, which is a true cowboy cool. event. It's very Yellowstone. So yeah. Someday Gray, I mean, I don't know if he's met if they've met each other, but someday maybe Gray yeah. will participate in the roping event. Uh, I like that, that. That bears his name. So There you go. There cool. you go. I like that. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your wife. So obviously you met when you were in full costume, but <laughs> tell me about what your wife does, what mm -hmm. she did and does for work. Yeah. And then also curious to hear about the decision for the two of you to start a family. What was that conversation like? Obviously, I mean, yeah, she's amazing. We've, for obvious reasons, I think that she, yeah, I think we came from very similar but different backgrounds, which is really interesting. We can talk a little bit about that. She is a phenomenal salesperson and has a really, can plan an event like nobody's business, can be really creative and thoughtful around marketing and kind of like where brands kind of fit in. I think she's very talented. Her dad was a surgeon and her mom is very talented around like, decor. And so I think that like collectively she comes with some really, like she's just, she's this very talented person. And she was running the Santa Barbara Polo Club when I met her. When she moved up to San Francisco, she got into tech, worked at Salesforce, worked at Ephonely with our friend Caitlin and, and that group. And she really, I think, embraced that. Like she really nailed the like understanding how to create special experiences for you know, people that really demand those types of elevated experiences in, in mm -hmm. the 1% and in the venture capital and what that business is trying to do. And she really, you know, worked hard with that team on an exciting startup, as you know, and I think learned a ton. And I think she did that in other roles as well. And so I think as we got into like, you know, starting family mode, 
I think we both knew we wanted to have kids. I think when we found out for her, it was kind of like a shock to the system to be like, for her, I think she was really scared and like, oh shit, how is this going to change us? Is this going to really be detrimental and hard and kind of almost make it harder for us to be the couple that we were and we appreciated and loved about what we had? And I think that that fear quickly changed into like excitement and joy and prep. Mm -hmm. And I think she's just one of those people that when she does something, she does it so well. It's like the discipline, the the quality, like she's just, she's very thorough and very thoughtful about a lot of things she does. And I think that she knew when she was going to be a mom, she was going to go all in, in spades, Mm -hmm. just like many parents and many moms. Moms are like the, you know, the, the core I think of that. And so that that's kind of a little bit of that evolution of how it went forward. Yeah. And then now she stepped back from the tech world. Uh, obviously, that's pretty intense. Yeah. The running of massive events for If Only. And yeah. now it sounds like she's doing something that I guess ha- has a lot of passion for. She teaches, yeah. she teaches kids swimming, which it, is pretty cool. And a very different Although I don't know, wrangling, you know, wealthy tech folks may be similar to teaching kids how to <laughs> stay afloat in a pool. There you um, go. Debatable, which is easier, actually. <laughs> I think a lot of people as they've matured through tech, and I think you're kind of one of those that is really like, you know, hit a home run and doing so many great things in it. And I think I've been fortunate to tech is kind of working for us. Yeah. <laughs> for lack of a better term. And I think taking my wife out for a moment, not to say it's like we're over it. Or she is, but I think it's easy for people to kind of think about, okay, what else is out there? How do I balance things out? What's the cost benefit analysis of a startup, for example? But I think what what she was lucky to do is as she was, you know, parenting Hayward and uh, she actually grew up with ISR training as a kid and actually saved her sister at one point. So it's a type of rescue swimming actually originated out of Florida where she grew up. She took Hayward to one of the best instructors in Austin and hit it off, saw how it was working, was always very appreciative and impressed. And Hayward was able to float and, you know, God forbid she were stumble in a pool, were not around or not looking, you know, she, you know, could float and swim and kind of survive that is the idea. And she looked at jobs, looked at opportunities, like, what do I get into next? And I think this presented a great balance of part-time being interconnected to the community. I think something that she didn't realize she missed. Mm. When I see her interact with people live and in person, it's like she's kind of in that flow state and it just feels like there's a lot of positives, right? You're basically, you know, you're kind of indirectly saving lives if you think about it. You're helping kids, you're helping parents. She's often, as we alluded to, in this challenging position of helping parents navigate a scary situation. When I first went mm-hmm. to it, I was like, you're going to throw my six-month-old in a pool? And they didn't throw them, but you know, <laughs> that, that's a misnomer. Uh, Close enough. <laughs> uh, it's scary, you know? Yeah. And so like, she's really helping parents, hey, this is normal. This is fine. This is what I'm doing. This is the technique. Like she does a really good job of balancing that. So it's been really fun to watch her. And she's joined up with someone who's done a phenomenal job with her business. And so she doesn't have to like start from scratch. She gets to be the number two. She gets to be a good helping, supporting, you know, teammate and also help the community. And, you know, it's a nice balance because, you know, being a mom and for us right now is is certainly a full-time job and then some, and you know, the most important of jobs as everyone knows. But I think what people don't always recognize is she is one of those. And I think there's so many women out there where they've got to have something 
all of us do. And her mind is certainly of that, that she really needs that outlet and uh, yeah. creativity and effort as well as the hard work involved with being a mom. Well, she sounds like a pretty wonderful person. Also amazed that she chose you after your buddy, the elf costume. I mean, I still wonder why on some occasions. But <laughs> uh, So I want to transition a little bit away from Buddy the Elf, although I could spend an hour. We might bring it back. We might bring it back. Oh, don't worry. I'll get there again. I'm sure of it. But I wanted to talk about you and fatherhood. And the, the first thing that I wanted to ask you is your earliest memory of becoming a, a father. I'll try not to get emotional on this one. When Hera was born, first child. I think I somehow was holding her before. This was, this was pandemic times. So mm. this was, yeah, this was October of 2020. Mm. Somehow I was holding her before my wife. I think, I don't, I think there might've been a brief moment where she was kind of out of it and holding on to Hayward. And then they kind of cleaned her up a bit and, and brought her over to me. Yeah. And she literally was smiling ear to ear. And I was just like, holy cow. And I'll be, you know, there's like a photo of it. It says so much. It was just like jaw-dropping, like joy and happiness and like a feeling that, you know, I've never thought, you know, you never fathom. And then when it happens, you're just like, oh my gosh, you're in a whole nother world, you know? Yeah. It was really powerful, really kind of funny. It's like, really? Like she, she cried a bit and then it was just like beaming smile. And so I just feel this like powerful you know, connection to her, obviously, as your first child and a daughter and all the things and joy overload. What a great memory to have. When you think about, you know, you have two young kids, so you're still in it. You're still in the thick of it. What are some of the more surprising things that you've discovered as a dad? Not to flip it back to my wife, but I feel like it's so connected and you're so there to support and protect and ensure that they're happy and have what they need to do the magic of being a mom mm-hmm. and the challenges that they go through mentally and physically are pretty high. And I think there's the game of making sure that you are taking care of each other mentally and physically yeah. is such a huge piece of it. And the mental health game is like massive. I think it's good for parents going in just to know that like, you know, a lot of these things that are just expected are not always no brainers and there's joy everywhere, but there's also just challenge and, and work and disrupted sleep. And I think it's like just being prepared mentally, getting the health, the physical and mental health dialed in really, really well as a team, as a couple mm-hmm. is like huge part of kind of surviving and people don't talk about that enough and it's hard it's not an easy task for for everyone and anyone it's quite an athletic endeavor to yeah have a child yeah so commendable to those who are able to get through it with their mental and physical state you know yeah okay you just celebrated a first birthday with your younger one and you've got a three-year-old so you probably are still getting peppered by advice If you could rewind the clock and give another dad some advice as they're about to experience parenthood, fatherhood, what's some advice that you got that maybe you didn't appreciate at the time, but kind of really resonates with you now? I think there's a couple things that come to mind. One is like simplicity. I think like there's a tendency in data 
overload, media overload, knowledge overload to overcomplicate. And I think that there's like a solace and simplicity kind of thinking that I think is important to think about. I think similarly, like leading to that is like kind of a trusting of your own intuition and especially the mother's intuition. Like you, you probably know what's best for your child and what's best for you in the situation. And then I think what the foundation of a lot of that is just like, we've been pretty good. I think Blaine, my wife has done a phenomenal job at just being very structured in terms of like the days and the feeding and the, and the schedule. And I think that helps so many other things, the feeding, which leads to the sleeping. And so I think that the structure is a great foundation for the things that allow the simplicity and then just like the, hey, yeah, you, you've got this kind of gut reaction of like you're really trusting yourself a little bit, not necessarily always seeking it out from others. I mean, certainly there's times when you need to get that from you know, medical professionals or family or resources, but I think those three really resonate for me. Yeah, you you know, the scheduling thing is really interesting. There's so little that it feels like you have control over when you have a newborn and young kids, right? Like yeah. kids are just a powder keg at any point in time. And so yeah. one of the few yeah. things that you can kind of control is, well, what is the routine that we're trying to have in our lives? And I feel like that gives yeah. you some, not everybody subscribes to that theory, but I do feel like that gives you some sort of stable footing from which to operate from because there's yeah. a lot of other chaos happening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Gives you something to fall back on when the chaos ensues, you know, and sometimes you have to throw the, the playbook out the window, but <laughs> that's right. Much like building a company. Yeah, yeah very true. Very true. Mm -hmm. So the, so I wanted to talk to you. You have a lot of thoughts and you mentioned a bunch of kind of different books and philosophies that you've subscribed to yeah. as, as you had kids and as your kids are, you know, growing. And so I wanted to spend some time there. And so my question to you is, are there any particular frameworks or guardrails that you've developed as a parent that you feel have been super helpful and yeah. know, other folks might benefit from being aware of? I'm trying to remember when we read this. We read Bringing Up Baby. I think we read it like right after we found out you know, she was pregnant. And I think like the interesting thing about that is after kind of getting through a lot of that and reading it, we realized that a lot of the things that our parents did, obviously they didn't read the book, but they were similar to that, right, wrong, or indifferent. And yeah. so I think that kind of helped us go, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. And it's definitely not for everyone. I'm sure it's quite a, a difference of opinion, but we've really kind of resonated to kind of that. And I think it's a lot of it is like, we're at a general sense, we're kind of living our lives. And yes, you know, our kids are, instrumental and center of it and if you're kind of following us throughout the day and the week it, you know everything kind of revolves around the kids mm -hmm. but that book kind of preaches a philosophy of like the kids are kind of along for the ride with you not the other way around mm. and i think that helps sometimes in the chaos even though you're obviously hey <laughs> when the kid's crying you're feeding it when it's you know time to change you're changing it but I think there's a good philosophy and hopefully as they get older, I think we've been able to grab elements of it of like, you know, they're, they're eating what you're eating. There's boundaries and expectations and limits to what they're allowed to do. There's mealtime is a bit of a secret of like, hey, like we're all sitting down together and we're all talking and it's encouraged to take that break. And it's not just 
oh man, just consume whatever you can, whenever you can. I think there's a little bit of that maybe older school, hey, this is what we have and this is how we can enjoy and entertain the moment. We don't necessarily need like everything in front of us to be happy or entertained. And I think that I remember even having that conversation with my dad growing up where it's like, you don't need to like constantly have movies on loop. And I think there's a little bit of that, you know, it's not necessarily like every last request or, you know, statement or question or, you know, thing is met with a, here you go. Like it's more of a, the parent is definitely in charge and this is kind of what we're doing as a family. Mm-hmm. And this is the, the direction and the schedule. And, you know, you're definitely coming along for the ride. Yeah while we parent and support yeah. and help and nurture. Yeah. You're a participant, willing or unwilling. We're going on this <laughs> journey together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting what you mentioned there because, you know, my kids are are older than yours by, you know, almost a decade in some cases. Uh-huh. But lately we've been talking to our kids a lot more about, you know, this idea of boredom and sort of like sitting with mm-hmm. your boredom and just mm-hmm. it's okay to be bored. You don't have to fill that space. There's ways that you can do it that don't involve a screen or like entertainment from one of your parents or something. And a lot of interesting things come out of that boredom. I'm amazed at what my kids find in the house and then do things with after they say, I'm bored. And I say, okay, great. You know, figure it out. So we've been trying a bit more of that. And then I think that makes sense. So that book that you mentioned is called Bringing Up Bebe. We'll link to that in the show notes. The other one that you mentioned to me was this idea of simplicity parenting. So what does simplicity parenting mean? Yeah, my wife read this and I admittedly didn't read it cover to cover. But this one's cool because I think it's kind of like a it's like declutter, it's consistency, it's if there's kind of less physical noise in front of them, they're less likely to kind of feel like oh, I'm kind of, things are a bit out of control or there's maybe a little bit more anxiety or just less crap to be candid yeah. <laughs> in front of them. And I think like, it's not like a minimalist, total minimalist thing, but I think it's a very good, it's kind of a good example is like, our, like on Sundays in particular, we're trying to like schedule. And I think this is going to be truly challenged as they get older, like three and one year old, right? We're talking about a much easier management when it comes to like some of these things like tech, like distraction, like stuff. And I think that now we're trying to hold the line and it's like working. Right. But we'll be interesting to see where that goes. But I think a lot of it just is a tenant of like less stuff, less activities, less entertainment, less scheduled stuff. Like, mm-hmm. oh, we got to go to Johnny's house. Oh, we got to go to so-and-so's place. We got to go over here. We got to go over there. Yeah. And I think it's great and I commend and everyone's got a different approach and it's certainly not strong opinions on all of them. Right. Especially when it comes to your family and your kids and your, your way of life. But you know, it's, it's not like we've lived it perfectly. We definitely have had to do a lot of purging donations, giving, selling of items. And we just had the birthday. So those items have gone up significantly in the last uh, 24 hours, yeah, which we're grateful for. But you get the point. It's less is more kind of thing. And it's like, it goes right exactly back to your point about it's okay to be bored and kind of create something from what is there as opposed to like, let me continue to like seek out new stuff, new things. And I think 
you know, kind of like limiting the activities. One aspect of that is kind of like, I don't know if it's perfectly tied, but Hayward's three, she's in daycare. A lot going on at daycare. Like there's kids are at that age are coming home and they're like a little bit fried. Like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, and I think I commend my wife because she'll, she'll know just when it's time to have Hayward in daycare and when it's time to have her at home for the day. Yeah. And we're very lucky because we've had a little bit of help. You know, Blaine can focus on, on, on the kiddos a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. We're fortunate that way. And, you know, moving to a little less expensive regions helped there a little bit, but she, she's really got a good knack for me. Like, okay, I'm going to let, let her be at home and just yeah. hang and, and do really nothing scheduled. You know, she goes in the backyard, plays in the water thing. We have like this little jungle gym deal, mm-hmm. which is awesome that she plays on being outside. I think there's nice balance that has been achieved, but we'll see if we can keep it going. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it's a good system that's working out. And was that a book or just a concept called Simplicity Parenting? It's a book. Okay. Yeah. I'd recommend checking it out. And I think they do a really good job of like, you know, less like, you know, force fed stuff and activities and, mm-hmm. and more like ability to kind of have like, embrace that downtime to explore like you yeah. alluded to. Cool. Well, so one thing I wanted to ask you it, is that, you know, partnership is really important when it comes to raising a family. It sounds like you and Blaine have a really good partnership there, which is awesome. Born in the fires of Buddy the Elf. <laughs> I told you we'd get back there. Comes back it around. comes full circle. But, you know, one of the things that, that I find is it's also, it's impossible to agree 100% of the time with your spouse, with your partner. It just, you know, that there, there are no people yeah. who are like, so the Venn diagram is not, a hundred percent overlapping, right? And so what's something that you and Blaine don't agree on when it comes to parenting or, you know, what's a conflict that happens from time to time? I like to joke that our Venn diagram is a narrow sliver when it comes to what to watch on streaming. <laughs> and then the, the other like half joke there is that like summer camp is the one thing we don't agree on. Okay. It's like, how you know, so? she, her dad... And her, her family was like, summer camps for kids who parents don't want them around. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think that was his way of not having to pay for it. Yeah. They had plenty of activities and kind of created their own like version of that. And they were very fortunate. You know, yeah. They were very lucky growing up for sure. And I was too in a different way where I was fortunate enough to grow up on one, which is kind of nuts. And so I would get introduced to a new batch of friends every week and got to, you know, experience the magic firsthand and how the sausage was made. And, you know, <laughs> our perspective there is very different. Uh, obviously, you know, it'll be interesting to see what, what we decide to do. There actually is some pretty cool camps in the Austin area. So yeah, when the time is right, maybe we'll do that. We'll see where we land. Maybe we'll compromise. Yeah. Well. Yeah. It's gotta be harder though in Austin, you know, summer camp here in California is like, indoor outdoor like kind of exploring in austin it's like pretty hot in the summertime yeah and so yeah, you very know, hot yeah it's almost like i have some family from tucson arizona and they're like if you want to do anything in the summer it needs to be before the sun is up <laughs> and then like yeah. well after the sun goes down <laughs> otherwise you're in the air conditioning it's crazy you know i i think to some extent, like, you know, you grew up in it, you're going to be a little bit better acclimated, but boy, when it gets into the 
you know, north of 105, it's just not, yeah, not healthy, not fun. And so, yeah, we're kind of eyeballing, you know, a couple getaway spots we're yep. fortunate to be able to do. And I know you got to be creative and think about that, but that's definitely on the to-do list as well. Just so we have some options, but like, yeah, you're going to gonna have to get creative. A lot, lot of water, a lot of shade. A lot of water, a lot of shade. Mm. Yep. Mm. I wanted to ask you because, you know, you've built an entire multi-decade long career in technology, working for technology companies, working with them, sort of owning your own agency. What is the relationship that you want your kids to have with technology as they get older? Yeah. My wife and I talk about this a lot. It's a hot topic. I have strong opinions about it. And it's hard because they're so young. So we're not even into the heat of it yet. Mm -hmm. Very early days. I really like, I had to like, obviously do some background on this book because I couldn't remember the name of it, but um, Esther, I think, or Jiki, mm -hmm. How to Raise Successful People. I think she had three kids and they were all like ridiculously successful. It's mm -hmm. you know, easy book to read, right, right. But I really like the idea of like, you want your kids to be able to utilize all the technology has to offer. You want sure. your kids to be able to and be empowered and have the agency and control and, and usage and knowledge for personal, professional reasons. So I think there's that element that needs to be part of the foundation of like, okay, they know how to use it. I think that the problem is I feel like we've kind of given kids like Pandora's box on steroids in this modern yeah. era. And it's pretty scary. I'm not necessarily, you know, spent my time you know, looking at all of it or knowing every last detail of the negatives of it. But I think a lot of people agree. It's just one thing my wife and I have said is <laughs> how do we kind of limit and protect for quite a while? It, it almost feels like giving them a car, like to me, it really does. You know, there's a reason why a lot of the companies we've been involved in have said like, okay, we can't, sell or market to kids under 18. Yep. So we're, we've already started like, there's a Garmin watch that I really like. It, it, I don't know that model and our kids are too young to have it yet, but it's just a great usage of like, I think it's almost like a, you know, two-way talk next sale. Mm -hmm. I think they can type in stock answers. Like I'm here, come and get me. I'm yeah. not, you know, I'm not safe, whatever. There's lots of good things I think with tech like that. And I think there's unfortunately a lot of things that are happening on the other side of the coin where it's a little too much access and too much power and folks that can access them and all kinds of yeah. things. And so I'm pretty protective and concerned about my, I also have hope that a lot of good, smart people are, you know, in the next five years are already working on tech to help balance and right. protect and enable parents to make better decisions because I mean it's uber top of mind with the hearings recently and it's going to have some changes coming very soon as we all know you probably have some insight on that so we're going to be pretty protective and I mean, draw a line but I also hypothesize that there's going to be so many other options by the time our kids are there sure that my hope is that desire to draw a hard line is going to be empowered by a lot of other options and technology and education and awareness of like What's good access? What's not good access? How do kids navigate it? I mean, I feel like that, in a weird way, that could be almost a business now to help people just really 
dial in and protect and, and really educate. And it's probably already starting to happen. But yeah, I think about those ages of 14 to 16, how formative those years are and, yeah. and how you want to give kids increasing independence. But I can't imagine like in certain stages, my wife and I having the full access that kids do now with sure. what we were doing and navigating at those ages. Yeah. I yeah. like that analogy that you use that it's like giving a kid a car, right? Like you wouldn't give a 12-year-old a Buick because they aren't mature enough to handle it. And there's a whole set of training and teaching and yeah. you know that has to happen. And even some people are like, I don't know if a 16-year-old's even ready for a car because the brain isn't fully developed, you know? And so I 100%. think that's a really it's a really interesting analogy to compare things like access to social media and you know just because it's on a screen doesn't mean it's any more safe than you know a 6000 pound vehicle the point about brain development i think is just absolutely spot on and and is part of my thinking around it too it's like the think that i got the first iphone i was probably 20 i think i was 28 Mm-hmm. But, you know, let that kind of sink in and think about how much time in front of social media, which is absolutely addictive. I'm completely addicted to it. It's my job to be addicted to sure. it. Sure. Yeah. We, it's, it's science. It's all the things, right? So uh, I don't think we fully understand what it means to have something like that in your hands that I think there's just so much value at like, being able to have conversations with people. And I think there's ways to do both, but like it's painful to see our kids going through. Those are challenging years, you know, those mm-hmm. are challenging years for kids and for people. They always are. I think yeah. for young men in particular, young girls, and it comes to like image. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just not to be a downer, but I, I think that like we're absolutely right. It's hard to know like where does that go and where does that end and how to, I would rather them, you know, later on be able to access fully all of those things and then manage something that's, a, hey, here you go, have something that's addictive. Like, yeah, we've been down this road before. It doesn't work, yeah. work well where you hand an adolescent something that's addictive. Sure. Yeah, in many of the same ways, you know, again, back to that car analogy, but in many of the same ways as you're, you know, we teach, we should teach kids how to, you know, consume alcohol responsibly and how to drive a car responsibly. Like this is another one of those tools that is powerful and can do a lot of good and then also needs some training wheels. So it sounds like that's a good philosophy that you have. Last, Last couple questions for you. What is something that you've had to give up to become a, a father? How has life changed as a dad? I think that I've always enjoyed, you know, sports and fitness and camaraderie and physical well-being that comes from that. And I, going back to what I shared earlier, it's such a mental and physical game. And like between the sleep de- deprivation and the changes of schedule and that, you know, throwing the playbook out the window as you talked yeah. about. It's really hard to kind of maintain and develop, uh, continue those things. And so, as a forty you know, plus year old male does, my you know back goes out doing kettlebell swings, and he he kind of it's like a year long rehab of that. It wasn't necessarily okay. This was because you know I had a kid, but it also 
I think it also emphasizes the discipline needs to come from different ways. And so similar thing that give up of like, hey, running your own business, being able to kind of tap into that and, and work at any time, anywhere, that's good. And it's a blessing when it comes to having a kid and being a parent. But it also means you can't always be on. You can't always check in. You can't always access it. And so there's times when you kind of have to you know, time box that and say, hey, during this block of time, I'm not going to be able to, even though maybe I'm efficient or I can really get a lot of things done and I've got energy at that time, I can't really apply it to work. Or I can't really apply it to fitness. And so I think variance of work and fitness, it just required a whole another way of thinking about, okay, more discipline, more structure, more prioritization in order to do those things. I am, unfortunately, you know, with support from, you know, Everett and the fam and just, you know, my situation, I've, I feel like I've been able to get physically stronger gradually after Gray was born. I feel like the second child was more of a curveball to me than it was for Blaine, whereas the first mm. one was for her. And so, yeah. yeah, this is a whole nother realm. I'm physically changing drastically, mentally changing, having to really navigate a lot of things for her. And I think the second one for me was a little harder because it was like, okay, we're playing man-to-man defense. And right. I, I'm much more integral part of this now, not that I wasn't before. So it demanded even more of me. And I think I gave up a little more on this one, but I feel like I've been able to find a nice rhythm. And I'm very fortunate to like the physical is so tied to the mental. And I feel yeah. like having those workouts and those, those outlets are so important within reason. And so in a weird way, I also feel like I have obviously gained you know, exponentially more than I've like, like had to give up or sacrifice. Like the sacrifices seem inconsequential almost if you can kind of just get a few of the basics dialed in. So. Yeah. What is a mistake that you've made as a father? We, we can't all bat a thousand. So what's, yeah. a, what's something that's happened that you kind of wish you'd done differently? Well, I shouldn't have been holding my boy Gray during the first half of the Niners-Lions NFC Championship game. Um, <laughs> it would have been the opposite for me, but I would have been cheering. As a lifelong Lions fan, I don't know if fan is the right way to describe my relationship with the Lions, but I am from the Detroit area, so there's something there. But yeah, I hear you. So you were holding father- him and, and yelling about the frustrating... Yeah, experiment. it was a loud no, and, and he... It was so sad. He like he was like teared up and oh poor guy. He was like, "You're you're not holding him for a while. Like, get away from me, animal!" <laughs> I felt terrible, and that's it's slightly embarrassing. But, but yeah, it was it was. I didn't realize the reaction compounded by today's. Feeling, oh, we'll talk about that another time. Yes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah. my, my guess is you were not cheering. Or yelling no during the Usher halftime show, but I don't know. That was the highlight for me of that game. Uh, (laughs) There there may have been an impromptu dance party that ensued when that that got going at halftime. I thought they did a fantastic job. And I'm not an Usher fan, but I did predict one of the one of the songs that came out. Okay, there you go. Which was good. Way to go. Okay, so word to the wise: don't. Hold your very young child while you're watching an impassioned sporting match. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Maybe when he's much older, or right. has uh, earmuffs on, or or not at all. Probably right. for the best to just yeah. avoid mixing those two fun, yeah. joyous things into one. Yep. My last question for you is: you know, you run an agency, 
but you own that business and that is a lot of work. And I can imagine it's a pretty demanding job and you've got clients who have around the clock expectations and you know, two young kids who have their own around the clock expectations. How do you balance I know you mentioned it's very helpful. Obviously, Blaine has a much more flexible role and, and job and, and can be the you know primary on point a lot of the time. But how do you balance for yourself work and the demands of running your own business and balancing a family with really young kids who have their own demands? Yeah, yeah. It's a great question. I think obviously it, it's a good... Blaine and I get into a case of kind of checking in on the weekend and try to map out as much of the week as possible. That's been really helpful. And we even, you know, gotten into like the documentation around that. We're not super hardcore around like other tools or requiring it all the time, but in particular on busier weeks, it's super helpful. I think, you know, especially when she's in the water and, and, and doing her job, we, you know, by being in a, for us, a lower cost region than we were before, it's allowed us to occasionally get some help, some support there, which is needed. You know, babysitter yeah. help cost benefit here has been phenomenal, as you can imagine. I, I think I'm very fortunate to over a 10 year period, it's taken us a long time to really get the team right and have things in the right place and have. SOPs and systems and expectations set up right and uh, have, a, have a phenomenal chief operating officer. We've gotten more mature as a business over the long haul, and that's helped, I think, maintain a balance for allowing for people to be able to do what we need to do. It's less like one person in particular feels like they're holding up the walls, right? And so yeah. I think, you know, in some ways you're kind of always on. I think my wife really you know, she gets it. She gets that this is, there's some always on elements. At times I will need to be, you know, not, you know, not physically at home and in the office or at times I'll have to be at a conference or at a client meeting. So I think there's a lot of mutual understanding and respect of what it is. But I think also you got to kind of mix in those breaks and those family trips and kind of you know, put those in the calendar ahead of time and work around them. And I've been very fortunate that I think it's been a good balance of team and, and family and, and getting that right over the years. And I think it's hasn't come, you know, easy, but I think we're in a really good cadence there. And I'd say those are the things that have really helped make that more balanced, I would say, maybe not the perfect yeah. balance. Yeah. All right. Last thing for you, if people want to follow along with Ty's adventure support you in Round Barn Labs. What's the best way to do that? I imagine LinkedIn, Twitter, those are your two spots. Yeah. Yeah. I think those are the two. LinkedIn and Twitter, I definitely try to share you know, a lot of the stuff that we're doing, hopefully educate and support the community of performance marketing and affiliate marketing and all the stuff that we're doing. And yeah, that would be good. Hopefully have awesome. you on our, our little pod at some point too. I will be there. I will reciprocate. Awesome. I'm sure of it. I can only hope that I hold up to the standard that you have set for this podcast. So <laughs> I will meet the demands. All right. Ty, do you have a few minutes for rapid fire, which is one of my favorite decisions? Okay. I do. The rules of rapid fire are simple. There is one rule. I ask you a question. You respond as quickly as possible. And then 
most of the time we just move on to the next one. So, all right. Are you ready? Are you ready, Ty? I'm ready. What is the most indispensable parenting product you have ever purchased? Maybe Vuron Carrier. What is the most useless parenting product you have ever purchased? Bottle warmer. Ooh, I have heard that more than once. Finish this sentence. The ideal day with my kids involves this one activity. Playing outside. Awesome. What is the best piece of parenting advice that you have ever received? I'd say trust your gut. You know what is best for you and your child. Which which one of your kids is your favorite? Too early to tell. <laughs> Too early to tell. Last week, I had Patrick Moran and he said the dog. The dog is his favorite kid. <laughs> what is the most frustrating thing that has ever happened to you as a dad? I think going back to what we said, like you used to be able to tap into work whenever I needed to, and now I can't. And I think this forced me to be very prioritized, more prioritized, more structured. I think, you know, maybe not always being able to, you know, get the workout workouts in, which which give you that dopamine hit that I'm always craving, you know, it's like yeah. clear the mind. And sometimes you just don't have that and you just, just gotta rally. Okay. How many parenting books do you have in your house? I I think we'd have about twenty. Okay. And how many parenting books have you actually read cover to cover? I think about five or six. I think my wife's got me beat, even though I'm I'm quite a reader. Five she, or six is impressive. Beat. A twenty five percent read to purchased ratio for a parenting book. You're doing pretty great, Ty. Don't beat yourself up too much about that. Uh, thank you. It's pretty good. What are the favorite ages for your kids? I know you actually don't have that many ages to choose from so far. So, yeah, man, I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna have to cop out on this one to say it's too early to tell. Gray is really fun right now too because it's like you know, he he wakes up and he's bigger. He he crawls. Yeah. He's he's just about to talk. He's just about to walk. Wow. He he's not causing too much trouble yet, but he's hilarious, just adorably sweet, and That's awesome. you know always smiling and wants to just be around us. And so, and he, when he wants his hug, he lets you know he needs yeah. that when you come home, which is <laughs> amazing. Awesome. Yeah. How many dad jokes do you tell on average each day? <laughs> I think my team at work is probably the, the gets the brunt of these the worst. They're the benefactors uh, of the yeah. dad jokes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They are the recipients and the targets. I'd say one out of two a day. Yeah. And then I'd probably mix in a, you know, very outdated colloquial terminology from my cowboy dad on occasion, which probably <laughs> is just as bad as a dad joke. Love that. Love that. Have you ever pretended to be asleep to avoid a middle-of-the-night wake-up from one of your kids? Definitely. Okay. Definitely. <laughs> Have you ever secretly thrown away a piece of your kid's artwork, or maybe not so secretly? Yes, definitely. I will say, though, we have our little shrine, and we're just pumping her artwork into that yep. frame. Those are great products. And just okay. Keep them coming. So they're cool. up on that wall, and she's got them. Okay. But I definitely have thrown some away. Now, your kids are probably too young to ask for anything, but what is or is there a very absurd thing that your kid has asked you to buy for them? Anything stuffed animal related at a grocery store, but mm. the the more concerning you know update is that my wife, I think, is whispering in the ear of my three-year-old daughter about ponies, which Ooh. we don't want to go there for obvious reasons. <laughs> no. You know everything about owning horses, so yeah, I hear I that they're give you a very involved. long list of pricing pricing and time required that will yeah 
take down your bank account and your schedule. Yeah. What is the most difficult kids TV show that you have ever had to sit through? I'm going to go with a controversial take. Uh, I'm going to go with the Daniel Tiger potty training for the long pauses. Uh huh. It's like, it's like really long pauses in there that you're just like, even though it's hard to hate Daniel Tiger. He's I know. The best. He's, such He's a the great best. Tiger. But those ones come to mind. Okay. What is your favorite kids movie? I'm going to go with a, a battle of two, a classic Lion King and, mm-hmm. and a more modern Sing 2. Ah, got that U2 effect there on Sing mm-hmm. 2. Yeah. All right. You got McConaughey. You got some great cameos. Yep. You got the bad wolf. It's just yep. it's a fantastic story. Have you ever accidentally mixed up your kids' names? No, but I find that after becoming a parent, I now apparently mix up everyone's names in the extended family. So like (laughs) my wife's calling me or my brother-in-law, like everyone's calling each other weird names now that you've got kids. It's just like, it just seems to be happening more now. I love that. All right. How long in your household can a piece of food sit on the floor and you will still eat it? I mean, I'm all about that five-second rule. There's no issues with that. Okay. Will that change if you have a pony that lives in your house? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, let's just say the Roomba is working overtime oh, in our house. Awesome. What sort of nostalgic movie can you not wait to force your kids to watch? Definitely Goonies. Oh, yeah. We recently did that with our kids. They loved it. Great, great movie. How often do you tell your kids back in my day stories? Oh, my gosh. Probably once a month, even though they're super young. And so I think that number is just going to grow exponentially as they get older. Yeah. And we're actually having more real conversation. How often do you tell your coworkers back in my day stories? (laughs) Once a month, okay. and only go up exponentially That's as good. they go through the organization. <laughs> All right. And finally, this is a big one. What is your take on minivans? Oof, man. I'm going to go hard pass okay. unless it involves a sprinter van. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Sprinter van is much more of a Swiss army knife of a vehicle than than the minivan. So I'm not very handy or adventurous, but I want to look handy and adventurous. (laughs) I love that. And on that note, the not very handy and adventurous Ty, thank you so much for joining me today on the startup dad podcast. It was a pleasure to have you. You gave me a lot of good stuff to share with my listeners. So take care. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Adam. Thank you for listening to today's conversation with Ty DeGrange. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, share, and leave me a review. It'll help other people find this podcast. Startup Dad is a Fishman AF production with editing support from Tommy Heron. You can join a community of nearly 10,000 subscribers and stay up to date on my thoughts on growth, product, and parenting by subscribing to the Fishman AF newsletter at www.fishmanafnewsletter.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.